Hello and welcome to the Joe Rest Podcast, episode 10, recorded on the evening of the 8th of May 2015. Once again, I'm joined by, I suppose it's not even once again now, is it? You're just part of the team, aren't you, Isaac? I'm just part of the Joe Rest team, yes. Yeah. I am a Garth. So. <laughs> yeah, with me as always is Garth. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to quit and you're going to be like there going, uh, uh, this is really uh, cool, not... Anyway, so um, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks, Isaac? I'm uh, trying to think. Uh, I've been reading a lot, actually. I read a really good book about cancer that relates to kind of what I do at work. Oh, wow. And like, really laugh a minute that was, I bet. Oh, yeah. I was like just the whole time, like crying, laughing. Yeah, it was a. <laughs> no, it was a pretty serious book. It was rather in depth, but it was, a time, it was just a biography of cancer. And I will, uh, after the show, shoot you the. Uh, I guess some links, you know, for it in case any readers want to check it out is pretty good. And besides that, just uh, work. And I've been reading more into C programming and Python programming, trying to get make a move on this Linux stuff. So slowly bridging a gap on all that. And that's really it's been a rather boring two weeks, I feel like. And I also stayed up all night watching the election, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bother. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But you've been looking at Arch Linux as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I pulled down Arch Linux and I was running it through VirtualBox. And I don't know if because I was running it through VirtualBox, I was able to get away with a few things. But it was, you know, I kind of reached out to you and we were, you know, throwing things back and forth. I kind of got it, you know, I feel like I got it up and running. It's definitely something I could see myself using in the future, but not as a default, de facto, like distro to always run to. There's definitely no way I would turn anyone else onto it that doesn't know what they're talking about with Linux. But it's not too bad. It's definitely, it's going to take a few trial and errors to understand everything. The wiki pages for it are extremely well-versed. Oh, yeah, we always say that, that uh, the, the Arch wiki is brilliant. Even if you're not using Arch, if you've got problems with other Linux distros, generally speaking, the Arch wiki is going to sort you out. So, um, yeah, it's well worth a read. But it's just Arch is too much hassle, man. When you can install, well, I can install a Ubuntu derivative in like five, ten minutes and then update it in another five minutes about five, 10 minutes, setting it up how I want, you know, within half an hour, 45 minutes, I've got a working system. Whereas with Arch, not so much. It's oh, a oh my God. Yeah. You're totally right. I would much rather use like Mint or Ubuntu, anything, you know, that I can just throw it up, immediately start running in five minutes. Cause during the install, I couldn't even like check out some of the files because less wasn't installed. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I had to go pull that down and then pull this down and pull that down. And then I had to make sure the keyboard set up and each driver set up. And I was like, this is in-depth. But in the end, you know, you learn a ton, but it's no way. If I, like, I'm still going to use Mint 24-7, so. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So I've been up to loads, actually, apart from working and stuff. When I last spoke to you, I'd just received the Entraware laptop that I was going to review on Linux Luddites. That's the one that comes pre-installed with Ubuntu Mate. And so we... Had a look at that and another one, the Proteus, an, an older one. And I don't know, we weren't that impressed with them really. And it was a bit awkward because I'm kind of friends with Martin Wimpress, who is the Ubuntu Mate lead. And they were really nice to us, this company. And it turns out they're a really small company of only a few people based in Liverpool in the UK. And I, th I felt bad being so honest, but you know, you have to be honest. And I've spoken about that before about how I'm not a yes man. I don't like to just say things are good and be enthusiastic about things that don't deserve it. And I suppose in that way, it means that when I am enthusiastic about stuff, it's worth more, but I just couldn't get that enthusiastic about it. But it was cool to actually 
get some hardware to review, it would have been cooler if we'd actually got to keep it rather than to send it back. <laughs> it's cool to have your first and last hardware to review. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you never know. You never know. Well, you know, that's really cool. You know, I kind of thought it was, uh, I mean, it's good for you to be honest with them rather than you like completely not tell them how you feel. And then they go up to the next like person and who's actually going to give them some more funding and shoot them down. So like you said, if they win you over, then they definitely have won over a majority of people. Yeah. And so we did that on Linux Lodites. Then I did a Mintcast where I was hosting you in the IRC as usual. Um, I'm not sure. I, I edited it as well. I say edited it, but I didn't actually do much. I totally, totally fluffed the intro. I don't know if you noticed listening live. I did a terrible, terrible job of it. So I fixed that a bit in the edit. And I was pretty wasted by the end when I was trying to read the feedback out. So I had to uh, edit a little bit of that. But I only spent about probably the whole thing. Well, actually, from finishing it to uploading the the Ogony MP3 was about an hour and a half. So, um, and most of that time was just uh, spent messing around, converting it and stuff, tagging it. So all in all, not too bad. I actually did it on the Sunday night. And then it didn't get released until yesterday anyway, which was Thursday. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if Scott was busy, whatever, didn't have time to do the notes. But it was quite an interesting experience doing a podcast that I was editing that didn't, that I didn't actually spend loads of time editing. So, did that feel good? I mean, you, I mean, I know you spend a lot of time editing these podcasts. How'd that feel? It felt really weird that they feel dirty. Did you feel dirty after you didn't edit it? correctly a little bit yeah because you know there's loads of talking over each other and i mean we actually didn't do a terrible job of it when it's just me and scott we seem to uh, kind of know what we're doing now and don't talk over each other too much it's the more people you have the more likely that is to happen and so it it was pretty good but the ums and ahs and the thinking about things and stumbling over words it would have been nice to edit them out but i just said to myself that's it i don't have time to do that I, i have time to do a brief you know, it sort of sort out the beginning and stuff, but I don't have time to do this properly. So um, that was that, and I did it. So that was a, an interesting experience. I suppose I'd like to do that again, but um, I just, I don't know, with Lennox Luddites, I've kind of... Um, well, that's, your, that's your, your baby, you know? I mean, of course, you're going to put more time on that one. Yeah, and because I've set this precedent now, like that's what I do with it. It, it is really heavily edited so for it to suddenly not be would be a bit of a shock for people i think i would probably remove my monthly payments the minute i noticed it i'd be like no no more no more joe was too dirty of his editing for this (laughs) i forgot that you're a contributor yeah thanks for that it is uh it really is appreciated the the monthly people and uh yeah i've got to um spend money on this again uh i had to put more money into um my digital ocean account this week to pay for this but uh, I don't suppose we'll be getting any donations for how terrible this show is, unfortunately. I got a kick out of one of the, I think one of the emails on Luddites was like, could you p- issue a like Excel spreadsheet of where the money's going? And you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, because it goes to Joe's beer fund. That's exactly <laughs> what we're all paying for. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, as we said on the show, I mean, we didn't say when we first started accepting donations that we would publicly say what people are paying us. I mean, some people might be private about that. That wasn't the deal. So, we, you know, we didn't want to say that. And apart from anything else, it's not really, I don't know, I, I don't feel that we kind of have to be transparent. And we're transparent enough. When, when we buy stuff, we, um, we talk about it. Like we upgraded Paddy's mic setup and um, now hopefully sounds a bit better. And that was out of the show funds. And obviously we're having to pay for the domain and the servers and stuff. So I think we're transparent enough with that. 
Yeah, the minute I see you on Google Plus wearing fur coats and brand new uh, 24 karat gold MacBook Pros, I might say something. <laughs> yeah, the new 10 grand Apple Watch, the gold plated one, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But uh, I spent some of my own money this week. I've joined the Bluetooth revolution only about 15 years too late. But instead of having to plug my headphones directly into my phone, I plug them into this little Sony thing now. I actually got it today, so I haven't had much time to play with it. It's an MW600, and it's about the size of a really small USB stick. And it's got a little screen on it and a few controls, and you can plug standard headphones into it and kind of clip it to your shirt. And it makes you pretty much hands-free, you know, wireless. Are you using it right now? No, no, I'm not using it now, no. Um, But I used it um, earlier when I went for a walk. And it was pretty good. And I got it really to use in the car because when I've got my phone in the cradle thing on the windscreen to use as a um, GPS, because my car is way too old to have that built in, I um, I can't really plug headphones into it because they get in the way when I'm trying to steer and stuff. So that's the primary use that I'm going to have. It means, because at the moment, if I know where I'm going, it's fine. I can um, plug my headphones into my phone. Why don't you just turn the volume up on your phone? Uh, it just sounds terrible. It's the one plus one speakers like, okay, but no, I need to have headphones. I'm a bit of an audiophile. Well, not really an audiophile, but I just don't like terrible audio. So, uh, yeah, that's understandable. And speaking of terrible audio, no, just a joke there, but I have been asked to guest host on the Ubuntu podcast in uh, a few weeks, which will be pretty cool because um, a couple of them are away. So that's, they record that live and don't edit it like Mintcast. And it's like really heavily scripted and stuff, and you have to do loads of reading out. So uh, I'm I'm a bit anxious about that, but it should be good. It should be a good experience anyway. And they use like this funky command line recording thing, which I need to learn how to use rather than just Audacity that I use at the moment that I'm recording both of us in. But that should be good fun anyway. I think that's early June that I'll be in that, and it means I'll be on two episodes because they record them back to back on a Tuesday night. So, um, yeah, there'll be two weeks of me. I'm kind of just invading every Linux podcast going. That's my plan. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Trying to, sp- I know people get sick of me. It's like Russell Brand. He just gets everywhere and people get sick of him, but hopefully I'm not as annoying as him, but you look just like him. <laughs> well, I've got a beard, but not quite as cropped as him. But I suppose speaking of Russell Brand, should we get into the news then? Let's do it. Okay, so we woke up this morning to a brand new Tory government, uh, the Conservatives, who are kind of like the Republicans in the US, the right-wing, well, centre-right party, who were in government before with a coalition with the Liberal Democrats, who... Are totally obliterated. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they did have quite a number of seats before, and now they just hardly got any, and even some of their safe seats have, uh, have disappeared because they went back on some of their promises and people never really forgave them for joining up with the Conservative Party because the Liberal Democrats are almost the total opposite of them. So it just wasn't a good uh, good look for them. Yeah, I actually uh, stayed up last night while I was reading and kind of had the BBC America on mute and just kind of watched it. So it was kind of cool, you know, my first time to really pay attention to, uh, you know, the election, everything. So it was kind of, it was, it was interesting. It was different. You know, I jotted some notes down on this and that, that, you know, totally noticed different from uh, our elections to your elections. 
Well, yeah, the first huge difference between our elections and your elections is we don't vote for our prime minister, whereas you guys vote. And I mean, I presume you've you voted before you go into the booth and you have either Romney or Obama and you vote directly for the president. That's my understanding. Is that how it is? Yeah, you, you go into the booth and there might be some other people. I don't. But there's no actually to tell you the truth. When you go into the booth, there will be at least six other candidates. And you're and it kind of blew me away. You're like, who are these other people? Because you don't hear about them whatsoever. You just hear about the main two or three, you know, and that's literally it. Yeah. You, you just go in there and make your election and you, you're done. Yeah. Whereas in this country, it's really, really complicated. You each kind of region, each, each area is a, a seat in parliament. And so you vote for who you want to represent you um, in this uh, constituency, it's called. And then based on all of the constituencies, um, I think there are 600 and something. And so you need a, a majority of more than half of those seats to form a government. And whereas last time it wasn't quite enough conservative MPs to do that. And so they had to borrow some MPs from a different. Um, I think it's six hundred fifty, and your majority is three three two six. Look at me, look at me knowing your your government. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that sounds right about right. I, I feel a bit like Philomena Kunk trying to uh, explain it. The uh, the ginger woman from that uh, Charlie Brooker thing. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, Charlie Brooker. For those who don't know, uh, he's a bit of a satirist, and he he started off reviewing TV. Uh, in the newspaper, I think in the Guardian, and then he managed to get a TV show reviewing TV, and then he's kind of branched out into other stuff. He did some video game stuff, and more recently, uh, Newswipe. It's always something wipe. I think it was um, Screen Wipe, and then Games Wipe, and then Newswipe. And he does a an end of year uh, kind of wrap up between Christmas, Christmas and New Year in December, and that is always brilliant. It, you know, twenty thirteen wipe, twenty fourteen wipe. I don't know how interesting it would be to an international audience because it is very UK centric. I mean, if you care about like the UK, you know, and what's going on at that election, you know, because last night I was up all night drinking, celebrating another great, another five years of great American British relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it won't be long. How long till Obama has to leave? Uh, about a year, I think. Uh, two, uh, yeah, it'll be November 2016. Yeah. And next year, next November, but we are already, we are well into the, the madness as it is. So, yeah. And I somehow don't see you getting a Democrat this time around. I think after Obama, uh, people kind of felt that they had to vote for him, but he hasn't really, you got to watch out now because the only Democrat really, well, there's a few running, but the main goer is Hillary Clinton and it's going, she were to win to be our first woman president. So there's a lot of implications, you know, that she could pull some stuff out. Plus the, Currently, the Republican Party is a I can't, a ragtag group of people that are just, there's like 10 of them now running or something. It's ridiculous. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of the conservative Tea Party candidates, which I think the Tea Party is really very closely kind of like your UKIP party. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, but there's several of them running, so they kind of keep going further to the right, you know, courting that, you know, conservative base of voters. So we'll just... I don't know. It's it's the biggest difference I noticed. Well, there's several things. One of the bigger differences I noticed from our election to your election is the amount of money that's going on our uh, election right now is already beginning to get very ridiculous because of these super PACs. So last year, our Supreme Court's kind of allowed uh, unlimited contributions. So normally, 
uh, candidates would run out of money, after, at, run out of funding at some certain point and drop out of the election. But now, due to the amount of funding they're receiving, I mean, there could be no telling how many candidates all the way to the end of this one. So, okay, I thought there was people offering like a million dollars and stuff. Uh, what you mean, like there's a total limit to how it's not per per donation sort of thing. Yeah, used to there was like a per donation kind of limit. I believe this is right. I haven't read too much on it. There was like a limit of how much you could donate from one said group, but now that's been ripped away. So you have these people already raising like thirty million dollars in a week, and they're not even people that are probably gonna you know get voted in. But the fact that they're already pulling this amount of money, like someone I was reading some article, like uh, you know our our election is easily gonna get to the billions of dollars. Like that's how much money these people are gonna be courting left and right. Just think if you spend that on healthcare or something instead. I know, I know exactly. That's my, I just, it blows my mind. So it's, it's ridiculous. But back to our election then. I mean, as an outsider who, you know, isn't part of it, what, what are your thoughts on it? Okay. So last night watching your election and having the past couple of weeks read up on a few things, here's about 10 quick notes I took. So the first one I noticed from last night is that the SNP party is on the rise. Like, moving very quickly and it kind of i guess coincides with the fact that scotland is looking to declare their independence at some point well except that they had the vote and they voted very narrowly well not not even i think it was about 55 45 against independence so well someone brought up a point last night which is now that they've got all these seats that they they're probably going to be like look at all the power we have now and we still can't get our way or anything accomplished. You know, that's kind of what they're, I could see that easily being the next thing they're going to throw into somebody's face. Like when it comes to their vote, like we still can't get anything accomplished, even though we pretty much have all the seats we could ever want. Yeah. I mean, it's be that swing from labor who are like our Democrats to SMP is pretty much the reason or one of the main reasons why we've got a Tory majority conservative majority, because uh, people in Scotland traditionally always used to vote Labour, but now because of this independence fiasco, it means that we're all stuck with the Conservatives for another five years. Now, you know, I say stuck with the Conservatives, shock horror, I'm not much of a fan of theirs. I mean, I'm not much of a fan of any of the politicians, to be honest. I'd like to see the Green Party win, and, you know, that's just never, ever going to happen. They won one seat again, Brighton, which is kind of like our San Francisco, the most kind of liberal you know far out place and that's why you know and it's it's funny there's a map of the south of england and it's all blue which is conservative apart from these two constituencies next to each other which is brighton and hove i think uh, brighton is green and the one next to it is labor and then everything else in the south of britain is all blue conservative because you know that's where all the money is in the southeast of england and where there's money there's right-wing politics it seems Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another note I took was that the BBC has some of the most in-depth graphics I have ever seen, which <laughs> explains explains that video you sent me and how they made fun of all of that. Because I watched it like I've seen all this before. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was funny when I I t- tuned into a little bit on my phone late last night as I was going to bed, and um, I just watched that Charlie Brooker thing, and to to see it, I was just like, that is exactly the same. That it was a, a brilliant. Parody. Yeah, it was really good. And I, I couldn't stop laughing because they had like the four faces of Big Ben and showing the swing meter And I'm like, what am I watching? It was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another point was I got to watch uh, Boris Johnson give his uh, his acceptance speech. That was kind of cool. Yeah, he's now an MP, even though he's supposed to be the mayor of London. So he's yeah, got yeah. two jobs apart from the other kickbacks and 
whatever he's getting. He's got two official jobs now, so I don't understand how he, he's supposed to be looking after my interests as a Londoner, not gallivant enough in some other constituency looking after theirs. So I'm not very happy about that. And that is clearly the fact that Dave Cameron is not going to do five years. He's not going to serve the whole five years. He's going to do probably a couple of years. It's going to be very much like Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. I don't know if you were aware of the politics back then. Blair got, a little bit. Yeah, Blair got on in 97. And then um, towards the end, he got sick of it and handed the poison chalice to his then chancellor, um, Gordon Brown. And he led for a little bit and then got beaten by Cameron. And uh, the plan has always been, I think, behind the scenes for Boris to take over. And um, now he's an MP, he can be the Prime Minister. Whereas before, as the Mayor of London, he couldn't be. So it's almost inevitable now that at some point in the next five years, Boris is going to be the leader of our country, which is quite a scary thought, really. That, that's that's an awesome thought. That that means I'll probably have to move to uh, Great Britain. That's how that's how amazing an individual he is. Well, I talked about this last time about how he seems like this bumbling comedy character, but uh, I mean that it's not because he's an idiot that I'm worried about him taking over. It's the total opposite. It's because he's so sharp, he's so clever, and he's so evil. And he just that he covers up his evilness with his um with a, with, with his hair yeah his hairdo <laughs> and his bah, rah, brah, rah, bumbling persona you know yeah the way he talks is like priceless it's <laughs> so uh what else um i love how each candidate was president when the votes were announced for an area that was kind of cool and i love going with it how there are numerous other parties that i had no clue were existing like there was who get like one or two votes and they're wearing some of the most craziest you know get-ups i've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, well, we used to have the Monster Raving Looney Party. Yeah, I saw a few people for them that I just couldn't stop laughing. I was like, what in the world? You know, and somebody looked like my, my, like a buddy of mine from college. He was just wearing a T-shirt and like some faded jeans. And I think he got like five boats from his buddies. Yeah, and if you don't get, I think it's 0.5%, no, 5% of the voters, you don't get your deposit back. You have to pay £500 deposit to stop just crazies, basically. And you have to get 5% of the vote. Um, and then you get your 500 pound back. I was kind of wondering how that, the, how that worked. You know, I was like, they just let anybody and their mom in. Cause they're still, that is so awesome. Cause I was going to tell you that you need to run next time and <laughs> we'll create a party for you. <laughs> yeah. The free and open source software party. There you go. The, the Linux uh, Federation. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's, I, I've thought, I've often thought about getting into politics and the, the bottom line is I'm not going to waste 500 quid doing it. I mean, it'd be different in a local council election, maybe, where I could actually engage with people and explain to them why I'm going to represent their interests. I actually did take part in uh, an election at college many, many years ago, where it was like the student body or whatever. And um, it was the most ridiculous election ever. Uh, I'm afraid that I rigged it. I... uh, that People voted for me like four or five times each and stuff. It was so... It was such a shambles. And I ended up um, going to the Houses of Parliament and stuff. And we had these meetings and like nothing ever got done. They took away our um, ping pong table. And, you know, that was like a real big thing. And I tried to get it back and said, oh, no, they're going to have outside ones instead. Even though outside in winter in the UK, great. Yeah, that's really useful. So uh, that was my first foray into politics. And I love the power, man. I I love the power of rigging the election. It was brilliant. (laughs) I just checked 500 quid is about 773 American dollars. I think we can pull this off. I think this is very doable and I will 
we'll start making a movement towards this. Um, <laughs> well, we've got five years probably to prepare for oh, it. Oh, well, wait, that's a great. Well, and that walks into my next point. We have time to prepare, prepare for a manifesto for you. <laughs> yeah. So I looked, so I got super uber nerdy and looked over all the big party, the five big parties manifestos last night. Oh, yeah. And I was kind of surprised that, uh, I mean, so what, so what, I mean, if I take it right, you, these, these parties publish this manifesto and if they don't abide by this, I mean, this is what you guys are going to hold them to the chopping block, the next election. Is that correct? Well, in theory, but in the Lib Dem manifesto last time, they specifically said that they would put a cap on student fees, university fees, and they would not increase them. And then they did this coalition with the conservatives. And sure enough, they put up tuition fees. And then uh, Nick Clegg had to, I think it was YouTube or whatever, he had to go on and do this groveling apology, saying, oh, I'm really sorry. I know we said this, but what are you going to do? that was on that video, wasn't it, where yeah. he pledged not to make another pledge or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was promising that he won't promise things he can't deliver again. So it's just totally <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, after looking at all those manifestos, the Green Party had probably some of the best points, but I think uh, they had, I had no idea how they're going to raise money for that. Like, they had, like, these great ideas, but it's like, in reality, like, how in the world do you plan to achieve this? And then, uh, man, the UKIP party is no joke, dude. Like, I really am going to keep an eye out for them in the future because they are definitely taking a stance that I'm kind of like, that I don't like that our Tea Party does here, which is heavy anti immigration concepts, which they aren't completely against it, but boy, they definitely. When I read their manifesto, it's like, it's there. You know, I was like, wow, guys. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. The, but the thing about the, the UKIP manifesto is that at least some of it actually makes quite a bit of sense. And they obviously talk about this um, immigration stuff and they, they betray their true um, colors, you know, that they're just racist and evil. But, I mean, for example, uh, they want to, or they, they wanted to raise the personal allowance to at least £13,000. Now, I don't know how your tax system works, but we have income tax here that is based on how much you earn, and you have a personal allowance, which means you can earn a certain amount before you pay any tax whatsoever. And they wanted to raise that personal allowance to the minimum wage, meaning if you are a minimum wage employee working in McDonald's or whatever, it means that you earn £13,000 and you take home £13,000 don't pay any tax on it. It means that the rich people who are earning 100,000, 200,000, they're paying loads of tax, but the poor people aren't paying any tax. Who can argue with that? That makes perfect sense. And, you know, so they, they, I think they draw people in with really good policies like that, but then they just say totally racist stuff about, you know, <laughs> wanting to kick out Muslims and stuff. Well, I mean, they don't say that directly, but, you know, they if you read between the lines, that's pretty much what they're saying. So, uh, I mean, it's all just lies anyway. I mean, from, from what I've seen, that all of these manifestos, they, they very rarely stick to them. Yeah, that's totally my take on uh, election stuff. Everything they're saying now is just to cater or pander to the voters and everything's going to change the, in the end. So I guess being uh, American, you know, for me to be like anti-immigration is like, I guess, I don't, I don't understand the point of that because that's where our whole country came from was immigrants. So I don't get while we're, I guess that's always been the way we have been though, which is like the first group here gets to set the rules for the next group until they kind of outnumber that group. And then they set the rules for the third group and that just kind of goes on. 
Yeah, but you see, the difference there is that although you were all immigrants to start with, you were all white European immigrants. Whoa, whoa, buddy. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you yeah, know, you're totally right. We, we, yeah, we kind of set the rules for the, the going party that was here. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's equally ridiculous here. We were an island nation that, you know, up until, I mean, not even that long ago, there was nobody living here. I mean, it's, it's beyond our current history that there was no one living here, but it's still, there was a lot of stuff going on in the rest of the world before anyone was here. And then some people came here and they are the kind of ginger um, Aboriginal <laughs> UK people who are now very much a minority. And then just wave after wave of immigration has happened over the, the last few thousand years. And, you know, we, we're just a proper melting pot. and. So it is as ridiculous as America being anti-immigration for us to be, you know, voting UKIP and stuff. It just makes no sense to me. But I don't know. I spoke to a lot of people about this election before it happened in the last few months. And one thing that really struck me was most people care a lot about immigration. That's like a big point. They say that, uh, you know, that has its knock-on effect with education and health and public services generally, and quality of life. And I just can't help but feel that UKIP, I mean, right, how tinfoil hat do I want to be about this? Either the powers that be, be it the mainstream media or whatever, have used UKIP to push that onto the agenda, or UKIP have pushed it onto the agenda themselves. It doesn't really matter which way you look at it. The fact is they've pushed this, this agenda of, we've really got to care about immigration rather than caring about the things that really matter, like bankers and corrupt government and the arms industry and whatnot. And the fact is that people care loads about that. And so it's pushed people to the right, but I don't think that it pushed people far enough to the right to actually vote for UKIP in any meaningful way. And the the BBC is notoriously left-wing and uh, Nigel Farage, the UKIP leader, talked about that and during one of the debates. And I think that was fair, a fair enough point. I mean, the, the audience for that BBC thing were very liberal and left-wing. And that's just because it's in a rich part of London where people are generally, or at least the young people, tend to be quite liberal and left-wing. And I think that that balance it kind of pushed people away from voting for full-on far-right UKIP and ended up with this people voting for conservative and that's why we've ended up with a conservative government i mean it's you know that's not exactly expert punditry and analysis that's pretty blindingly obvious but that's that's the way i see it anyway that you know that's why we've ended up in this nightmare situation of five more years of conservatives Another another thing you reminded me of, I totally forgot about watching the election last night was the fact that so before i turned on the tv last night this election was supposed to be Super close, like the biggest, the closest election in, in years. Yeah. And then I turned on the BBC last night and immediately it's like, uh, the conservatives are going to win, you know? And I'm like, what, what happened? You know, like they just immediately, and they kind of brought it up here and there. As a matter of fact, they brought up a bunch that, you know, the polls were wrong. And then suddenly throughout the night, it suddenly became majority, you know, this and that. And then all of a sudden, I can't remember when it was. It's like, oh, they're going to win all the majority, but one vote. They need one more vote and they'll get it. And I was like, what is going on? And then I wake up this morning and it's like, oh, they won the majority outright. 
And then I, it makes me feel like they knew the entire time this election was a landslide to the conservatives and they just did everything they could to generate like some TV viewerships or some kind of excitement for an election that was nowhere near as close. Well, I don't know. I mean, everyone thought it was going to be a lot closer than it was. I think that it was a genuine surprise to almost everyone that it was, I mean, it wasn't a landslide conservative victory, but it was uh, very much a clear conservative victory, which no one expected because the last one was fairly close and people thought this one would be closer. So uh, you might be right. Maybe it was the media. And I think the media as a whole, not just the BBC or whatever, but, you know, ITV, Sky News, all the newspapers, just kind of trying to drum up this excitement. And it did feel like a more exciting election than normal. I mean, uh, you can't be alone in America staying up all night watching this. I'm sure that there were plenty of people watching it thinking it was going to be this exciting, close election. And then it just (laughs) didn't live up to it. It's a bit like that um, Mayweather fight, eh? And so, <laughs> yeah, I paid a hundred dollars in pay per view to watch the uh, election results. Don't tell me you paid a hundred dollars. No, I did, I did not watch <laughs> that fight. No, there's no way. I, I, I think say. the biggest thing of that election is the fact that if the media did not, if they really thought it was going to be this close, I think they underestimated how how pissed off Scotland is at the rest of the United Kingdom. Because comparing the maps from, I think, 2010, 2015 is ridiculous how, like, yellow their country is now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it was pretty much 50-50, almost, with a slight, well, as I said, about 55-45, I think, in the end, uh, against the uh, leaving and becoming independent. But I think the people who were more likely, everyone in Scotland voted for that. More or less, it was the highest turnout for a long, long time, that independence referendum. Whereas now, it's more the the vocal, you know, active political people who are going to campaign and vote in this general election, rather than a lot of the normal people who can't be bothered voting in, um, you know, this one. So that's probably why that swang that way. Who did you vote for, Joe? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Who do you think I voted for? Uh, you voted for uh, Cameron. You voted for the Conservatives. I mean, there you go. <clears throat> no, I voted Monster Raven Looney. No, I didn't vote, man. I, I don't vote. I don't. I'm not even registered to vote. Yeah, I think that's illegal in this country to not be registered. But hey, I didn't. Didn't bother. Well, don't worry, because because next time we'll be voting for you. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, although they're going to bring that up, like you weren't even registered the last two elections, and now you want to be MP. The minute I was watching that election and saw some of those people, I was like, oh my God, Joe can form a party. And that's immediately what I thought of the rest of the night. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I don't know. But the the funniest thing about the whole election um, was Thanet South, which is um, in Kent. It's kind of right near France, basically. And that's where Nigel Farage stood. Um, And then he lost. He lost to the Conservatives. And so he had to resign. I mean, yeah, we didn't talk about that. All of the leaders of the, the other three main parties, and UKIP is one of those main parties, it seems, according to the media, all of them have resigned today. So Ed Miliband of Labour, Nick Clegg of Liberal Democrats, and Nigel Farage all resigned. Okay, so they all resigned. But when I was watching it last night, I thought Nick and Miliband won their districts. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they resigned as leader of their party. They're still going to be MPs. They're still going to be in Parliament getting our money. 
um, and representing their constituency. Oh, oh, I got you. They're just not going to be running there. Okay, here's another thing we didn't even talk about that struck me as crazy. As Miliband's took his brother down to be leader of the Labour Party. That's that's like, I was like, what in the world? Yeah, so they had this leadership um, election, which they're going to have again now because uh, he's stood down. And it pretty much came down to the two Miliband brothers. And they fought tooth and nail. And, you know, this is all internal party voting. And, um, you know, it came out on top. That Okay, so that kind of... I didn't read much into that at all. I'd heard that, you know, in that video and here and there. But last night I read more on that, and then I realized how much I did not want him to lead y'all's country because <laughs> that is just something you don't want other countries saying. Like, hey, man, he stabbed his brother in the back. <laughs> be wary of what he's going to do with us. You know, like immediately it's going to be, no, everyone's going to be very wary of what he's saying. Well, you have to be aware of any politician, basically. All politicians are dirty. I completely agree. But you don't have to be nearly as blatant about it as what Miliband was. So I think that's kind of what they were saying is, hey, man, we're not the, the cleanest group of people, but just don't go stab your brother in the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't trust any of them. They're all on the take getting kickbacks. And um, you'll be there soon. Hopefully. 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 I want I want all the listeners to write in saying how much you want to vote for Joe. <laughs> yeah, would you vote for me? <laughs> I would. I would definitely move there just to vote for you. <laughs> right, let's go on with some other news stories that uh, okay. we want to talk about then. The first one about drones. Yeah, so, okay. So I posted a story talking about that the Navy made history with the first drone refueling movement. Our maneuver, I should say, the Navy is a key word here in this like this article because all branches of our, so we'll go with America here, all branches of our military have, um, except the Marines probably, but they have drones. And so the Air Force has drones that I think aren't requiring, I'm not for sure how they're all working exactly, but the, this is a Navy movement here. So when I read stuff about this article, people were like, this is a Navy thing. So Navy's trying to prove to, I think, the Pentagon and the our Congress that they deserve more funding for this by pulling this off. The another thing I want to take away from this article is the fact that drones can fly for a very long time as it is. And I think looking at the picture and reading about this, the refueling plane was flown by a human, of course, it looks like it's like it looks like a Boeing 747 or something. But anyway, so we have a drone that's being refueled by a human. It's going to really get close to a drone refueling a drone. And then after that, it's just, I don't know where we're at in this world. Because now we have unlimited flight times of drones refueling drones. So I don't, Skynet, I have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you limit it by the fossil fuels on this planet, basically, as to how long they can fly in the air for. And, I mean, this is the public side of things. Again, tinfoil hat, which we'll get to in the feedback. but. You know, if they are admitting that they can now fly for a couple of days, how long do you think they can really fly for? A couple of days. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, that's that's what I'm saying. This is this is only one drone out of the hundreds that are probably floating out there. I think. So I posted a link on the show note. We'll put a link on the show notes for a book I'd read called Wired for War and. I want to say they talked about like flight times in that book in particular, saying how they could fly from one part. You know, they were just taking off from America, flying to whatever country, doing surveillance for a good day or two and then coming back, which is ridiculous times. So I don't I don't I don't know how long they can fly for days for sure. But what always strikes me about drones 
is this confusion in the media and the public perception. Because if you ask someone to draw a drone, and you know, if they've got any sort of artistic skill, then the chances are they will probably draw a quadcopter. Uh, the kind of thing that you can buy f- probably from, I don't know, Target or Best Buy in America, or at least online for, you know, anything from these tiny little ones that are like 50 quid or less up to a couple of thousand dollars for an enormous one. But they're kind of controlled by iPhones or just remote control. And that's what most people think of as a drone. And I mean, to me, they're just remote control helicopters or quadcopters. Whereas the drones that we're talking about here being refueled midair and potentially flying indefinitely are more like airplanes, really, that can fly at really high altitudes, can do spying missions, bombing missions. I mean, if you had another uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, end of the war situation, dropping a couple of nukes on a country, it's definitely not going to be a manned mission anymore, is it? It's going to be drones doing it. No, yeah, I think you're completely correct there. And I kind of get ticked off, too, at the media confusion. I don't think they're ever going to really separate quad. I don't see the media being that smart. They'll be like, this is a quadcopter, and, you know, this is a drone. Because currently the, what's it, the FFA or FAA over here, the aviation people, they're trying to put in laws in place for how high these quadcopters can go. But every time they talk about it, it's constantly a drone, which, by the way, that's a big problem over here in the States is they are flying these quadcopters to heights that are insanely high and almost, you know, hitting planes and stuff. It's becoming more of like a weekly occurrence for sure. than you hear of a pilot saying that a, you know, a quadcopter flew right by them, but they always, and they say drones, everyone says drones. I guess it's the same when you look at, um, uh, the iPad, you know, I mean, almost everyone I talk to that's not tech related sees all tablets as iPads. Oh, that's interesting because Gareth, who I used to do the Mind Tech show with, who's over in California, LA, he says that that isn't the case there. And when I told him that, um, you know, like people who I meet, like my niece, for example, calls the, the Samsung tablet an iPad. And, you know, that, that's just what people say. So I didn't think they said that in America, but it's interesting that you've noticed that then. Oh, yeah, I definitely. That was a big deal because uh, one of the, uh, some sports show or something I watched, they have a, I think it's, I don't know, the NFL, I can't remember. Anyway, they have a contract with Microsoft Surf for the Surfaces. Oh, yeah. And, and all their correspondents on the show were like, if you look at my iPad, you can see here, and Microsoft like threw a big fit, you know, about <laughs> yeah, like, you, you say, you say Surface, no matter what, we're giving you all this money and we not to be saying I'm pan left and right. So they had to go through like this big class of think about the difference of, you know, what a surface is in a, in an iPad. Yeah. I've definitely noticed it for sure. This is the same thing with the phone. I mean, it's just so prevalent, you know, that you use a phone for the, and I mean, Google almost is the same way you think about it too. And it's like, Hey, if you go say for search for something, you just say, you know, go Google it. You know, I'm not really going to break down bang versus duck, duck, go or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so. it's like, like in this country, we hoover up. Even if it's a, a Dyson or whatever, it's still a Hoover. And it's, so it's just once that name gets decided, there's nothing you can do about it. And so to the non-techie people, a tablet is an iPad because they were the first to dominate the market. So, you know, there's not a lot we can do about that. And I think the same thing with the drones thing. I mean, surely a drone by its very definition, like the, the, the pre-flight drone is it's some, something that has no brain and just is like... Uh, autonomous, you know, like it's, it's, um, 
not not controlled by a human. It's controlled by a computer program. It's it's programmed to do something and then goes and does it. Whereas you know a, a quadcopter, you're in constant control of. You don't say right, fly five hundred yards over there and land. You have to physically do it, and that to me surely is the difference between a drone and a quadcopter or, or whatever else you want to talk about. If it, it otherwise it's just a remote control plane. You know, what's funny is I've never said the word quadcopter as many times as I have right now sitting here talking <laughs> yeah. with you, you know, and I've even read articles about, you know, the quadcopter meetups and conferences going on because that's definitely gaining a lot of attention for like software stuff. I think it was a drone IO. Isn't that a Linux thing? Um, but, but anyway, I'm looking at the definition of drone here. We got a male B that does no work, you know, a continuous low humming sound. I mean, I don't see... I agree with you. Everybody's going to call them drones unless you're that verse in the community to know the difference between A or B. And even then, it's just, I know the difference. I'm still going to say drone. I could, because honestly, that's what most of you are going to realize. So I'll say quadcopter and they're going to be like, what? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've been watching um, Jordan Keys on YouTube. I kind of started following him after I met him. And uh, he posts a lot of stuff. He's got a 3D printer now and he's printing out a lot of stuff for them. And he reviews, he reviewed the OnePlus quadcopter so it's just in my mind now yeah there's a lot of good reviews out there for this whole quadcopter community that's made me i was going to ask you that too have you thought about buying one i've thought about it but i'm trying to declutter not get more clutter so um i'd get really shouted at if i did and the lesson that i learned it's funny all my life growing up as a kid i really wanted a remote control helicopter and back in those days batteries weren't good enough to, to have a battery one so it was the only ones available were like petrol powered, gasoline powered, as you would say. And they were like probably a thousand quid back then, you know, 20 odd years ago. So that'd be like two or 3000 now, probably. So there was just absolutely no way that my parents were ever going to buy me one. And then I think probably about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I thought, "Hmm, I wonder how cheap they are these days. And so I went on eBay. I was like, what for like, 50 60 quid i can get a remote control helicopter i was like oh my god i have to get it and i flew it for about a week probably um every day when the weather was good enough and the problem was that i'd get about five six seven minutes flight time and then i'd have to charge it for over an hour and it kind of i crashed it a couple of times and then that's to kind of tape it up and repair it and i just lost interest really it was just one of those novelty things and i know that a quadcopter would be exactly the same situation so yeah uh, i can't see of owning one beyond like photography you know or that kind of stuff i mean i agree with you i think it'd be those things were initially it'd be fun and after a while you're just like yeah you just don't south park by the way has a great quadcopter oh episode. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that <laughs> That I highly recommend everyone check out, but I agree with you. I just... Until the battery technology gets to the point where it can fly for like an hour and then be charged for 10 minutes, you know, if they flipped it totally on its head, the charge time versus flight time, then I'd be interested because then, I, you know, you could get two batteries for it and be charging one while you're playing with the other one. But just the way battery technology is now, I don't know, maybe if I could get a petrol one that, you know, you could just land it, fill it up, take off again. But again, you're looking at thousands of quid probably for one of those 
Well, well, then on top of the fact that you have a gas-powered machine flying around the air that could wreck into anything, and it's going to cause a nice explosion. Not anything <laughs> huge, but you now have that, you know, just kind of flying around at will. Yeah, well, with the helicopter, I flew it out in the kind of local park. There's not much space around here, but there's a kind of bit of green up in space. And I flew it, and I thought, oh, I'll just take it higher, higher, higher. And then it caught the wind, and it must have flown like 500 yards away into someone's garden. And I had to send my girlfriend in to uh, knock on their door and say, can I get my helicopter back, please? And uh, and it took some pretty major spills as well. But it's it's like most of those toys. I think the novelty wears off. I mean, I've been tempted to buy one of those really cheap ones, those indoor ones, but um, I don't think my cat Linus would be very impressed with it. Or if he was impressed with it, he'd try and attack it and it wouldn't last very long. So, yeah. But speaking of robots and stuff then, robots are going to take our jobs, or at least jobs that no one wants to do. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's exactly the way to look at that. So I put in a story talking about robots are starting to take over agricultural work that immigrants won't do. Now, I don't really believe that part of the story. but So recently I watched an episode of Vice that talked about, so here, okay, so here in the States, the state of Alabama, a couple, a few years ago, Put, probably put into effect law that was with the most stringent, like getting rid of illegal immigrants possible to the degree that if you're housing illegals, that you yourself could equally be sent back. So what resulted, and then going on that, the politicians built upon the fact that once they're, they're taking all of our jobs, you know, and so they sent, when they put this uh, into, this law into effect, a majority of citizens in the area in certain like uh, counties left like whole cell just left the whole area and vice was there to kind of see how things had gone since then and the comps had said openly like the drug trade is still the same it's actually worse they said if anything because there's so much unemployment now a lot of the farmers were saying that they had basically gone out of business because all the people that were supposedly all these alabaman you know alabamians they were supposed to take their jobs back couldn't hack the work or didn't want to do the work so now their farms are just wasting away. And, and that in turn will say like, so Joe Blow's chicken farm waste away, which results now in the chicken industry in the area is starting to waste away, which, you know, it's a domino effect that just, it reached such a point now that they're trying to roll the law back some to get the, the migrants to come back there and work. But I think it's funny reading this because I don't see, I'd like to see one of these robots do this kind of work because I've done work before with immigrant workers and it's, it's, it's seriously hard. And I don't see being so, like, I don't see a robot being able to do this kind of work. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, couldn't handle it, but it's just, there's such randomness is what I'm trying to say to this work. Like, so Amazon has a lot of robots. Now they're doing packing boxes and load trucks. Well, that's just a simple A to B concept. Or when we have these autonomous semi-trucks delivering packages from A to B, there's really not much randomness in that process. But doing migrant work, I just don't see these robots doing this. I'd like to see these robots in action myself. Yeah, I mean, fruit picking is the, the prime example of this, isn't it? Where you basically need to have human eyes and hands to do it because the kind of robots you'd need to do that would have to be so advanced that it just wouldn't be worth spending the money on them. Because That's another good point there. Sorry about cutting you off. Is who's going to spend the money on all these things? Well, yeah. <laughs> it basically boils down to if you want cheap fruit, then you have to pay cheap wages to people to pick it. And that means that those people are going to have to be desperate and not able to do anything else. 
and so they have to be illegal. So you're paying in cash, and th- there's no other way to do it because the, as you say, like a, a, a kind of a, a warehouse robot, where everything's compartmentalized and really carefully organized, makes total sense. But the, the randomness of nature and the, the growing of fruit and vegetables, I just can't see it's possible. And no farmer's going to want to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds for a robot to pick the fruit and so you just got this situation where fruit prices are going to have to rise and people are just going to have to suck it up or we're going to have to have illegals doing it and just accept that yeah that's that's a good point i didn't realize that the price of the product will have to be raised to justify the labor that's going into it i've I have dealt with farmers when it came to just up. So you have, like, say, a tractor, and we're going to upgrade your tractor software to use like GPS, and also be able to do more things, um, you know, through the onboard computer. And it you have to not just in your business, you don't have to just hire software engineers alone. You equally have to hire people to know how to talk to these farmers because to get them to understand how to use this is so is such a um, a gap you have to cross. That I have no clue how you're going to be able to be like, hey, does this farmer have a degree in robotics? Because how are they going to be able to fix one? I can see them probably fixing when it breaks, but just the fact of how these things are going to work and be used, I just, and then on top of that, when you're outside, you're, okay, so you're outside, these, these robots are going to take tons of environmental issues into effect, rain, storms, mud. I mean, I, I don't see them being able to really last the duration of one season of crops much less numerous seasons and i don't and i agree with you i guess the products we have to raise i just don't see how we can spend this kind of money on one farm much less hundreds thousands of farms yeah i don't it seems like there's more to this that it's probably the threat of robots is just going to change the law i think because people are uncomfortable generally with the idea of robots even though most of the stuff that we buy is made by robots but not robots that like look like the Terminator or Johnny Five or whatever. They're just robot arms, you know, making all of the electronics and stuff that we use. But people are kind of scared of that idea, I think. So it's probably more just about trying to rattle people and change the law back so that they don't have to have these expensive work permits to, to bus in Mexicans or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's probably what it's about. I can't see us having robots doing this work yet i mean not for a long time probably not in our lifetime i don't think uh, that's the that's the hope i think this is going to be on the 2020 ukip manifesto of how we gotta get rid of the robots in our country <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> right well we did have some other stuff to talk about but we spent too long talking about the election so we're gonna have to skip him i think but one last news story just a brief one and that's that groove shark has shut down now, had you even heard of Groove Shark? Had you ever used it? No, I, I looked at it a little bit. I hadn't really used it. When I was in my heyday of torning everything under the sun, I probably used Pirate Bay 10 times out of 10. And since Google Music has appeared, I have really honestly brought this up the other day. I have not touched Pirate Bay, and I don't know when. So looking at Groove Shark, it was just one of those things that I'd never got around to. I've touched Napster a little bit, but Groove Shark just, I take it that you used it quite a bit? Yeah, I used it all the time because. It, it didn't feel like it was a dodgy, illegal thing. You just... Wait a minute. You mean Power Bay feels dodgy and illegal? What? <laughs> <laughs> There's just the numerous sex ads all over the thing, you know, and warnings from Microsoft that they're going to sue anyone that looks at this. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I just ad block it all away anyway. But Groove Shark, it, it just felt very much like Spotify. 
except for no adverts ever. And you just typed in what you wanted and it was all there. And they had Metallica and the Beatles when Spotify didn't. And I remember hearing about it almost 10 years ago after it had just come out. And I went there and I thought, this can't be right. Surely this is going to get shut down in a couple of weeks. And every time I went to use it, I thought it was going to get shut down in a couple of weeks. And here we are after, oh, I don't know, I think they said nearly 10 years. It's been, they finally, finally relented and gave up the fight against all the um, the music companies, the record companies and stuff, and gave their assets over to them. And now there's just this groveling statement saying, oh, we, we didn't realise. Well, no, we realised what we were doing. It was wrong and we're sorry and we shouldn't have done that. And, you know, they just wanted to avoid you know, fines and prison and stuff. And it's just, I used to always say to people, why are you using Spotify? It's rubbish. You should use Grooveshark. It's free and there's no adverts. Whereas I can't say that anymore. So now if I want to discover, or, you know, if, if you just think of a, a, a song and you want to hear it quickly, the only option is YouTube now, really, for me. So, because um, I don't have Google Music here. Oh, you don't? Uh, you can hack it to get it here, but it's um, you, you can pay for it, but there's no free option. Put it oh, way. yeah, yeah. So when, when I got introduced here, it's the same way. It was like free for the first month. After that, it's like, I think, 9 or $10 a month. So it's, I definitely, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it warrants the money, but I agree with you with Power Bay. And as far as uh, every time I use it, I was like, this is going to get shut down in a week. And now here we are, how many years later, and it's still finally prevalent. And I think they're finally starting to take it down, but I just feel like it will never go away. Yeah, well, Pirate Bay keeps going up and down. I'm not even sure what's happening with it. But, I mean, in this country, they've resorted to blacklisting that stuff. So uh, on most ISPs, if I try and go to the Pirate Bay now, so I think, what is it, piratebay.se, I get a message from my ISP saying, sorry, this page is not available through Virgin Media. We've received an order from the high court to prevent access to this site. And um, so. So you went to the powerbay.se. Yeah. And I went to it and I'm looking at their search the torrents page with the big ship sailing. Yeah. No, here it's just blocked. So. Oh, I got you. So, yeah, there you go. So it's a, it was a sad day when I heard about that the other day. Uh, and as I always say, good night, sweet prince. Maybe something <laughs> will pop up. So what? What are you going to use now for music? I don't know, just YouTube for the time being, I think. Um, I mean, I've got quite a lot of music anyway on my phone and stuff, and I don't tend to listen to much new music anyway. So, um, and, and the stuff I do tends to be like really obscure metal bands who give their stuff away on Bandcamp anyway. So uh, I'm not particularly bothered. It was just quite a convenient way of doing it. And they had quite a cool uh, Discover thing on there. You could kind of add radio stations and stuff, quite similar to... Um, Spotify and uh, is it Pandora I think and but it was just no adverts and it was a really good service so I'm a bit sad about it but there'll definitely be something replacing it I would have thought so uh, and if anyone knows what that is let me know so I can jump on it that's what you can run on when you uh, in five years on your party's campaign that you will bring back <laughs> Groove Shark yeah and I'll shut down Spotify forever because it's rubbish <laughs> Right, well, we got quite a lot of feedback from the last show, so let's do that. All right, so the first bit of feedback we got was from Jack Denahauer that says, Hello, Joe and Isaac. 
I want to compliment you both on the podcast. Your coverage on a range of topics was enjoyable. Even though you charged off into the weeds, you came back on topic and finished each subject. Hopefully we did that today. I think we kind of lost <laughs> lost our sights on the drone one. And the election, of course, was, was the election. But anyway, <laughs> on the China topic, I would like to add the word oil. Back around the time of the Vietnam War, China was squabbling about small islands in the South China Sea. And I seem to remember some commentators at the time mentioning possible oil reserves. China has also been positioning itself in Africa, developing mines for various ores and also military presence. More of a threat than Putin's desire to resurrect the Russian Empire. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. I also enjoy both of you commenting on my comment to the Christianity reply. As I said, everyone has their, their opinion. When I said that teaching comparative religion in schools hasn't worked very well, I didn't mean that it was happening now or had happened in the past. I guess that I made the comment without considering how it would be interpreted. I thought that your responses were measured. <clears throat> we could debate the subject until the cows come home without a satisfactory conclusion. That is a very good point. I would like to close by suggesting that you guys continue doing the podcast together for a while before doing any evaluations. Also, please keep the same format. I have noticed the difference between the American and English word worldview, and that is entertaining too. It was also refreshing to listen to a podcast without a single mention of a smartphone. I will be suggesting that others listen to your podcast as well. Well, appreciate the feedback there, Jack. Thank you very much. I think we did mention phones right at the beginning. I was talking about that, my Bluetooth thing. So <laughs> sorry, yeah, Jack. And you, you just did it right now too. So <laughs> good job, Joe. <laughs> and I think I mentioned iPhones and we talk about it all the time. Hopefully that wasn't too much of a uh, smartphone talk though, but Looking at his topic, um, yeah, I think Africa is the new, the new. I'm gonna say battleground is the good word for it, but the new, I don't know the word for it, new playground for all the new, uh, the all the developing countries for sure. And I would definitely say that it's more of a threat than China. I mean, Putin's uh, Russian empire being resurrected. Yeah, I mean, Jack talked about the word oil there, but I think the word water is to be seriously considered because. Although, however much this planet, two-thirds of it, whatever it is, water, it's all salt water, isn't it? And that's very expensive to turn into uh, fresh water. So fresh water reserves are dwindling and are very important. Obviously, you can't live without fresh water. You can't, you can't water your crops with it. You can't feed your animals. You can't live as a human. So I think a lot of this tactical geopolitics, obviously it has a lot to do with fossil fuels oil and gas and stuff and that's a lot of what the russia stuff and china is about but i think don't underestimate the access to fresh water uh, kind of angle on things i think that you know may again maybe not in our lifetime but looking forward long term it is very important strategically to have access to water i mean look at california for example that doesn't have any water at the moment and maybe with climate change that might continue to be the case and you know, you need to secure a, a good supply of fresh water. Otherwise, you can't function. You're completely right, Joe, that oil is a big deal, but water is going to be a bigger deal. And I think it will definitely be within our lifetime. I give it at least the next 20 to 30 years. And I think oil will, I mean, water will be equal to oil, if not a greater uh, resource that we are craving in the world. Yeah, I, th I think it'll be longer, but you never know. Things seem to move quite quickly these days. So thanks for that, Jack. Anyway. And Alex wrote a, quite a long email 
to me. And that was uh, just before, well, he must have written that about five minutes before we finished recording the last show. So I replied to him and said, that's why we didn't mention you. And it was a long email about some of the podcasts I listened to and that I'd mentioned in episode three, back when I used to do this on my own. And uh, it was less than complimentary about some of the ones <laughs> I listened to. So I'm not going to name any names, but uh, uh, he kind of suggested some alternatives and stuff. So thanks a lot for that, Alex. I'll be checking them out. Although, to be honest, I don't think I've talked about it, but I've become somewhat obsessed with Hollywood Babylon at the moment. And I even got my jingle played on it. And that's Kevin Smith of Clerks and uh, Jersey Girl and uh, loads of other movies fame uh, with a guy called Ralph Garman. And it's just a ridiculous entertainment podcast that's really funny. And they do it in front of a live audience. And I reckon they must have at least a couple of hundred thousand listeners. So it was really cool to have my jingle played on that. They have a lot of jingles for various celebrities and stuff. It's totally vacuous and it's not, uh, educational in the slightest it's pure comedy and folly but I, I recommend it anyway but yeah once I get through with listening to the back episodes of that which will be another month or so I would have thought then I'll be uh, looking for more suggestions because I've been culling quite a few of the podcasts that I listen to lately I've just got sick of them so um, yeah the ones that Alex wrote to me about I will be checking out along with um, the one you're always going on <laughs> at me about Isaac, the uh, how this, how did this get made? Show. Yeah, yeah, you need to get off your keister and listen to that. It's a hilarious podcast, and uh, they recently did Face Off, which was <laughs> very funny. I did not realize that. What real quick talking about that? They basically said that they get they the writers created the script for the movie, and then Nicolas Cage basically just threw in the, the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, we'll have to do like uh, you know a rundown of the stuff that you listen to at some point. Uh, maybe yeah, we can do that next show or something. All right, we have some feedback from Martin Carlson. It says, "Hi, last episode was a really nice listen. Please have Isaac on again. You guys work really good together. Oh, appreciate it, Martin. Thank you very much." Yeah, it was good to get good feedback, and it was generally all good feedback, um, including one from Lee, a regular contributor he said hi joe good to hear you've got yourself a shiny new co-host or sorry to hear isaac didn't work out better luck next time (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah yeah i forgot to mention you're fired by the way sorry oh yeah sorry well very luck very luck next time i guess (laughs) he said it sounded to me like the former was the case the number of solo podcasters is hopefully back down to zero (laughs) i can only imagine how traumatic it is trying to hold up an entire show on your own it's actually not that hard. You just press record and start talking. I would have to say real quick, it's actually more traumatic to listen to you have to hold up the entire show on your own. So we're hearing, <laughs> you, hearing you in your car, I was like, man, someone please go give this guy a hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, outside in the freezing cold in my jacket and stuff. Uh, but the, the plan was for this show that I bought that recording device. Uh, there's this park not too far from me. It's kind of near a main road, but that would just add to the ambience. But in the summer, I was planning to go out there on the beautiful summer evenings and do this show. But now I'm stuck in my flat talking to you instead. But uh, there we go. Anyway, Lee says, Isaac seems like a smart, easygoing guy who doesn't take himself too seriously, who you can shoot the breeze with. What more can you ask? Is it just me or a podcast is getting younger every day along with policemen? You're older than me, aren't you, Isaac? Yeah, I know. That's what I was, <laughs> was going to say. I'm actually older than Joe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. And Java, well, that's okay to punk fun at. 
yeah, obviously it's funny to poke fun at that. You're not a real coder developer, you just do Java. <laughs> anyway, Lee continued, what Isaac said about Snowden rang a bell with me. I found myself wondering more about Snowden's credibility rather than the content of the revelations at first. Incidentally, there seems to be no shortage of Snowden revelation summaries out there. Uh, we'll get back to that. A uh, summary on PC Mag listed the one where the NSA is alleged to have hacked Yahoo and Google data centers. Eric Schmidt of Google called the move outrageous, if true. Well, I had to laugh. Google getting on their high horses at the thought of the NSA accessing data, they so scrupulously mined the cheek of it. Frankly, I think I have more to fear from Google than the NSA. Not that I'm over the moon about sharing my life with either. But it's a reasonable point. I mean, Google have always said that they're only interested in selling advertising and they're not looking to do anything else with that data. And it's all about making money. Whereas the NSA and the government agencies are not looking to profit, are they? They're looking to maintain control, they're, you know, ostensibly looking to stop terrorist attacks. So I think that they are going at it from different uh, angles, but you're probably right that they are equally evil and equally scary. Uh, he said, in a similar vein, have you heard the interview with John McAvee on Paul's Security Weekly podcast from the 6th of April? I wondered if it appealed to your inner tinfoil hat. <laughs> Note to self, avoid all Bible reading apps. Done. No, I hadn't even heard of Paul's Security Weekly podcast. So again, once I get done with Hollywood Babylon, once I get over my obsession, that's probably one to add to the list. Yeah, I'll uh, make a note to try and read uh, or listen to that uh, next week since I've kind of caught up on a chunk of my podcast. Okay. And he finished off with the point, the Android versus iOS bust up. Oh, that was where the guys like uh, beat each other senseless <laughs> and got arrested. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, reminded me of the Top Gear episode where they stopped at a petrol station in Alabama. And he linked to the uh, YouTube video of that. It's amazing how worked up people can get. And I think in that uh, Top Gear episode, they were um, he, he, like spray painted something about being gay or something. And then the, the locals in Alabama didn't like it. But, uh, oh yeah, and Hillary for president and stuff like that. I'm just having a click through it now. But I think it's very important to remember that Top Gear, I know it is no more now, but um, it, it's not a, a documentary. It's not a car show. It's a sitcom. It's a sitcom about three blokes who like cars, but it's a scripted sitcom. And you should not ever forget that. But yeah, it's kind of a, a good point anyway. And as I replied to Lee, he said, it's amazing how worked up people can get. And I said, you forgot the word American in there. <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about Americans from Alabama, yes, you are talking about getting worked up. That is for sure. Uh-huh. All right. And we got some feedback from Richard that says, uh, regarding China's island ra- uh, airstrip, Britain has done a very similar thing in Gibraltar. Sorry about that. <laughs> Gibraltar, it's called. Yeah, could not pronounce that for anything. Um, and he attached a JPEG of the image, which was pretty cool looking, and goes on to say that it looks a bit like the aerial photos of the China Sea Island runway to me. Gibraltar <laughs> is a pretty odd place. If you happen to be on that in the area, it's worth a visit. It's like a bizarro world slice of the UK glued onto the island of Andalusia. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> and yeah. I have never been there. Andalusia, it's called. Yeah, it's the the very bottom of Spain, between Spain and 
Morocco. It's okay. the, this uh, kind of peninsula, and it's I've never been there, but I'd like to go there because it is like, as he said, from what I've heard, like the UK, but with really nice weather, as you'd imagine there, like near Africa. So the problem is employment there is difficult to come by because there's not many people there. And it's, you know, if you can get a job, if you can retire there or you can get a job there, it's cool because it's like the UK, but um, with nice weather, we don't have the horrible winters that we have. So I would very much like to go there. And it's got a big, like, they call it the Rock of Gibraltar, this big kind of mountain thing. It looks pretty cool. Definitely want to go there one day. And Will said... I'll let you know if I make those notes. He was talking about how he'd like to make some notes about um, the various Snowden revelations and try and kind of catalogue what's come out rather than the... It tends to be, in news stories, the over overview of them rather than the details. And Will wanted to... He kind of said it's on his massive to-do list to, to really make a note. And he's, uh, we asked him to share that with us if he ever does, so hopefully he will. He said, I haven't seen Citizen 4 yet myself. I had just read the blog post from a cybersecurity professional about how The Intercept was distorting a recent Snowden revelation when I commented on the last episode, so I was influencing my description of the media as hyping up the leaks. And he links to that. said, so I'm curious if this podcast becomes a two-person show with a structured format involving news and listener comments. Will you make any effort to give it more definition and distinguish it from Mintcast and Linux Luddites? These shows are already fairly close to each other, with the main differentiation being the difference in interest between Paddy and Jesse versus Scott and Rob. It's a little hard for me to describe the difference between these two shows succinctly. I'd say Luddites definitely talks more about phones and also spends more time on larger issues of software freedom and the forces working against it. All of the news stories about Microsoft, Google, etc., and the discussions of topics like certificate authorities and System D. Whereas Mintcast focuses more on Mint specific topics and software tools of interest to general Linux users. From the past two episodes, I say the JRS podcast would cover topics that are borderline tinfoil hat. Well, that is an interesting question. When we started doing this, well, last show was the first proper one that we did as a two person show. We didn't really know where we were going to take it 100%. And we didn't want to spend, well, I didn't want to spend loads of time back and forward trying to organize that. I mean, we spent enough time with emails and stuff. And then we just, you've, there comes a point where you just have to do it. And I said, look, just chuck some new stories in and we'll just talk about them. And I'm very aware that I don't want it to be too Linux based. I mean, I spend a lot of time playing with Linux, using it, talking about it. So that's going to creep in. And that's how you know me, Isaac, from the Linux shows that I do. So your interest is clearly there as well. And so it will always come from the perspective of Linux users. But I mean, I like to think that the difference being that we aren't going to put any direct Linux news in here necessarily. And it's more politics and, um, and stuff as well. I mean, we try and keep it as varied as possible with a tech spin. And also with the tinfoil hat thing. I mean, you said to me, Isaac, when we were first discussing it, that uh, you wouldn't mind having a bit more of that tinfoil hat stuff. Yeah, that's what, uh, and we try and, like you said, center most of our news stories kind of not around that, but we try and keep a tech science spin to most of our stuff. And if it's, and normally we're just going to apply tinfoil hat 
aspect to it, no matter what it is. It could be that we now buy groceries from the other grocer down the store and we're going to put a tinfoil hat on why they have pesticides on everything, probably. But as as far as like other world events, well, like the election is a good point. You know, I mean, things that are kind of prolific, prolifically going on the past two weeks or currently we're going to talk about more than we'll talk about something else. So we just kind of try and keep it not so heavy Linux, but if Linux is definitely ruling the news for the past two weeks, we'll bring it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's it for the feedback then. Thanks a lot, everyone, for writing to us. The I forgot to say this at the top of the feedback, like I always do, but joerestpodcast at gmail.com is probably the best way to get in touch. Um, or leave a comment on the website. Or you can hit me up on Twitter or Google+, but Isaac doesn't do those, so uh, you just have to email the, the show and I'll forward them on to him. So, um, yeah, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I guess if any listeners have any good books or podcasts, just shoot them, you know, to the email Joe just said, because I'm an avid bookworm and looking for anything good to read, whether it's like nonfiction or fiction. And also um, looking forward to another great five years of a British and American relationships. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, I've got two fiction books. Well, one's kind of semi-fiction. My two favorite books are Fight Club, which is a brilliant, brilliant book, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Both obviously based on films, but the books are better than the films, I would say. Or at least have you as read uh, other books by what's that guy's name that wrote Fight Club? Uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, Palenic. that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, I read Choke, and they made a movie. I read. Of that. I, read I read Choke. Yes. Yeah, um, and I listened to one of his audiobooks as well. I can't remember, but yeah, I, I read the, the Diary. Was that one? Uh, I think so. Yeah, and uh, Hunter S. Thompson as well. Apart from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, pretty much everything he wrote was brilliant. So. Uh, yeah, they're, they're two authors to check out. Pretty mainstream, but, you know, what are you going to do? Right, well, who knows when we'll be back. We're kind of trying to stick to a two-week schedule on this. We slipped a little bit on this one. It depends how busy I am. I've got a lot of stuff coming up, but maybe we'll be back in two weeks. Who knows? That's the beauty of the Joris podcast. It's just random, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Until next time, then. See you later.